Hey everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jessica Stevens, your host of I Just Blank Now What? Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in for another amazing episode. This week on the show, we have an awesome, awesome, awesome story. It's I Just Turned 70, Now What? And I do not want you to think that this is your typical retirement episode about what to do at, you know, those upper ages and sitting back and relaxing. No, today's episode is packed full of adventure and all sorts of amazing things. My guest, her name is Mae McDaniel, and she hiked the Appalachian Trail at age 70. Yes, my friends. So here's a little bit about May. Living a life of adventure, May McDaniel joined the Army, traveled the world, and hiked the Appalachian Trail at age 70. Her message for you is to discover ways to turn back time and reinvent yourself. Don't miss an opportunity because you are never too old and it's never too late. She is also the author of Destination 100. Yes, my friends, she has every plan to hit that 100th birthday, and I'm sure she's going to do it. So without further ado, let's get to the now what. Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank. Now what? Me too, friend. Me too. I've had quite a few actually, and in the moment, I never knew what I was going to do next. Of course, I had to figure it out, sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own I just blank now what stories so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Hey friends, are you having a, I'm just surrounded by so much clutter, now what moment? I have been there and it is the worst feeling ever. We recently had to clear out decades worth of clothes, furniture, pictures, things, stuff upon stuff out of my grandmother's home. It's been very stressful and really time consuming. I wish we had hired professionals to help. Professionals like Really Organize Now, a mindful organizing solution service for your home and office. Really Organize Now helps you declutter, sort, purge, and organize your living spaces. Did you know that disorganization creates more stress in an already stressful world and having too much clutter can develop into depression and extreme hoarding and that can impact your mental health, leaving you feel demotivated, shameful, and unworthy? Really Organized Now restores order out of chaos, creates calm out of anxiety, and brings clarity out of confusion. By meeting you where you're at in a simple, non-judgmental, solutions-based approach. Really Organized Now is owned and operated by Rose Nixon. She's the declutter coach. She's developed a very personalized, customizable, Really Organized Now method of organizing that produces results that are sustainable and guarantees you'll keep on smiling. Are you ready to be Really Organized Now? Book your in-person or virtual session with Rose at rosenixonco.com. That's rosenixonco.com. There's a variety of packages available. Use promo code NOWWHAT10 to get 10% off your first Really Organize Now session package. That's rosenixonco.com, NOWWHAT10. 
Let's get you organized. Well, hello, May. Hello. How are you today, Jessica? I'm doing really well. It's a beautiful sunny day here today. Nice and warm. How about you? Where I am, it's also warm and sunny and nice and warm. Excellent. Well, I'm super excited about this episode today, and you're going to be sharing your I just turned 70, now what story? And um, before we do that, though, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Tell everyone a little bit about you. What do you want the people to know? Well, I want people to know that, well, my name's May McDaniel, and I have what do I want you to know? You probably really don't have time to hear all of the things about me. I have had a number of different careers. I have had different businesses. I have written a book. Actually, I've written a couple of books. And the thing about this episode is that I am over 70 years old. And that is something that I just thought was never going to happen. But I, along the way, I was in the military. I owned a dry cleaning plant. I had a, started a dry cleaning pickup and delivery business and wrote a book about that. I had a, a, a convenience store at one time. I managed commercial real estate. I've owned and managed residential real estate. I have way too much little bits of information. I would learn something. Well, one of my favorite jobs I did, I worked for the National Park Service years ago, and I got to go to national parks as part of my job. So when you start talking about so many different things, it's like, oh, well, I did a little bit of that, or I know a little bit about that. When I worked for the Park Service, I have some technical expertise in the area of human resources. Mm -hmm. My area was organizational design and development, which is assigning duties and responsibilities to jobs and then jobs to organizations. So I have just such a very, very background. You are a modern day Renaissance woman. You have done it all. And I'm not done yet. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, that is like the perfect segue into your story. So this is, you just turned 70, now what? So I know when you hit that 70th birthday, obviously it's a milestone for you and so many other people who hit that, you know, next decade mark. And some might have been like, I'm 70, I'm packing it in, I'm relaxing, I'm just gonna cruise here on out. But that was definitely not you. So what happened when you just when you turned 70 and and why did you think that you were never going to reach 70 <laughs> I'm a baby boomer I am one of the oldest baby boomers okay and that doesn't mean much to you but it does to those who are a little older we were the Woodstock generation we were sex drugs rock and roll give peace a chance and don't trust anybody over 30 And somehow or another, I didn't ever think that I was going to cross that milestone, despite the fact I have great genes and I know I'm going to live a long time. There was just something about that 70. I had cruised through all the other milestone birthdays with no problem. But then when I was facing 70, it was as though I was going to cross over 
into the great beyond. I was so depressed. The day I turned 70, I literally could not get out of bed. I stayed in bed for about two days with the covers over my head, barely. It was horrible. What am I going to do? I even had a job at the time, but I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't tell anybody I'm 70 years old. Well, after a couple of days, the DNA kicked in and I'm the go to the gym every day and work out and ride a bike and all that sort of stuff that kicked back in. And I got up and put on my spin shoes and <laughs> went and did some spin and lifted weights and say, took a bath <laughs> and said, oh, OK, well, now I'm 70. Now what am I going to do? And. It was almost like I tell it. I just decided I was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. And people say, why do you, why would you do that? And it's like, well, isn't that what everybody does when they turn 70? (laughs) (laughs) No, May, not everyone decides they want to Uh, do a multi-day, thousands of mile hike at the age um, of 70. Well, That's what I decided I was going to do. And the next question usually is, did you have a lot of backpacking experience? And the answer is zero. (laughs) I had never done any backpacking. I'd done a lot of hiking over the years. I've always liked the outdoors and I played tennis and I did scuba diving and I did. So the, the hiking was just a part of the outdoor kinds of things that I did. So that was not that far off. But the backpacking definitely was. And I had no idea what was involved in a long distance hike. And if you're familiar with the Appalachian Trail, it's like, oh, my God. If you're not, the Appalachian Trail is over 2,000 miles long. It runs from Georgia to Maine. It is the longest continuous footpath in the world. It is the granddaddy of long distance hiking. So you go through all kinds of terrain and whatever. It is a very daunting piece of real estate that's only two and a half feet wide. It is, well, that's what the trail is. And it runs runs from, as I said, from uh, Springer Mountain, Georgia to Mount Katahdin, Maine. And Katahdin is spelled K-A-T-A-H-D-I-N, something like that. But it runs through national parks, state parks, national forests, state forests, private land. It is. It runs through all kinds of terrain. Yes. And that makes it, it's just a very complicated real estate, a piece of real estate that's this wide. But anyway, I started looking at it and I turned 70 in January And I thought, well, I'll just go hike this year. Well, I looked at it and realized that was not feasible, that I did not have the the logistics together. So it was actually I was actually 71 when I started. It does take a lot of logistics. Putting your life on your back and walking 2000 miles is not as simple as it sounds. But I got it together and started in March of 2017. And so, I before, so, so before we get on to your hike, 
What do you mean by you got it together? What are those steps that you had to put into place from when you decided okay. that I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail to you actually packing your backpack and making it happen? Because obviously you said it takes some time to prep. So what was some of the things that you had to do? Well, one thing was to be physically prepared. Mm-hmm. Even though I was in pretty good shape, I had to train to hike the trail, meaning that I spent many, many hours and miles hiking in Georgia with a pack, without a pack. You just have to be in physical shape to do it. So is there some sort of like check-in you have to like register and they have to make sure that you're fit and able to do it? Well, they, the Appalachian Trail Association certainly hopes you're fit and able to do it. And they do have a check-in procedure, but it is not required okay. in any way. They do ask you to check in because most people who start the trail start in the months of February, March, April, and sometimes into May. But that window is what you need to be, you need to be started by then in order to be able to be in Maine before it starts snowing. Oh. Because you're looking at five, it took me five and a half months to get from Georgia to Maine. Gotcha. So it's, you can't, I mean, you certainly can go out there and start in January, but it's not a really smart thing to do Uh because it's so cold on the South end at that point, you may be going through snow there. It just, so there really is like an ideal window to do it. Correct. Correct. And the most popular day to start is March 15th. Just FYI. So you go in and you determine the day that you want to start. And I actually started on the 16th of March. And I registered. And when you get to uh, Springer Mountain, there, there's a check-in. There's a whole lot of stuff that's going on. A good part of the month of March, from about early March till about the 15th of April. There are a lot because there's so many people starting every day and they have places you can weigh your pack and uh, volunteers who are checking you in and you get a number and you tell them where you, you know, that you expect to go all the way to Maine. A lot of people don't. You, they get on and they want to hike just a section of it. They're only going to hike a couple of hundred miles or something along those lines. So that's part of it. But the biggest, the, the logistics involve a lot of what you're going to carry on your back because every pound, every ounce that you put on your back is going to hurt your knees and your ankles and your feet. Mm -hmm. And it's going to slow you down and has a lot to do with how far you make it. Yeah. Your success is literally on your back. Right. Literally on your back. I spent hours and hours researching equipment and then going out and looking at it and trying to get the lightest equipment that I possibly could and trying on boots and wearing the boots and making sure that they were going to work. And the answer to the question of how many boots did you, how many pairs of boots did you use? It was three. Okay. I wore out two pair. I still have the third pair. And then you've got to figure out what you're going to eat and drink because there's no running water. There are no, there's not a Walmart right along the way. And so you have to work through 
you are using so many calories. I think the average is something, even for a small person like me, is 3,500 to 5,000 calories a day is what you need. So it almost goes without saying that you end up losing weight because it's so difficult to be able to get sufficient calories. And you're also looking to make sure that you have plenty of protein in your diet because you're also, you don't want to use up your muscle tissue in the hiking process. You want to use the sugar, the carbs. And that was a, that was difficult for me because I don't do, I don't eat much refined flour or refined sugar. And that made the trying to adjust to food on the trail quite difficult And even you see all these sparkling mountain springs and you think, oh, water, no problem. Wrong answer. Because no matter how it looks, it may have bacteria in it. And so I researched and used a variety of water purification systems. And all of that, you know, how much does it weigh? How difficult is it to use some places on the trail to get to a water source? You might have to hike half to a mile downhill, knowing that you're going to have to turn around and bring that water back up the hill. Yeah. And that's not part of the, the (laughs) that's not part of the official trail. That is like an offshoot. That's like a rest station that you're going to. It's that kind of thing. So the, and you always are looking to what is your base pack weight? What are you starting with every day? Because then you're adding food, then you're adding water to it. And I had done all this research and I had this great pack and this great tent and all this ultralight equipment. And I got packed or I packed my pack the night before I was going to get on the trail. I'm a woman. I looked down in that pack and there was space. And it was like, oh, well, I'll just take another T-shirt. Oh, I'll just add a few more granola bars. Oh, maybe I need another couple of pairs of panties. I got ready to get, when I actually got on the trail, my 21-pound pack was almost 30 pounds. Almost eight pounds. I mean, you just don't have any concept of how much something weighs. Yeah. You know, I've got on a little t-shirt, you've got on a little shirt. How much does it weigh? It doesn't feel like anything. But when you start putting it on your back, not just like this, but folded like, up yeah. and something, it is it is amazing how much it weighs. And the problem is there are no trash cans on the trail. So everything you take has to stay with you till the That's end, right. even all of your garbage. Okay. That's right. Every piece of trash. If you don't eat your food, you're you have to either trash it out or you need to go dig a hole and put it in there. It is because the idea is to leave no trace. This is the wilderness. So it was those are some of the logistics. And I just realized in talking to you, I should put together a checklist and and seriously, and coach people mm. to get ready to go. I haven't done that. And I don't know why, because it's, I, I'm I think, not the only one. I think that's a really good idea, May. I think there are other people think, who would actually, like an I Appalachian Trail coach would be the next job title that you're going to hold. 
Right, right, exactly. Because if you're going to, I didn't find anybody really. I read a lot of books. Now, I'm a reader and I think you can learn anything from a book. And I read at least a dozen different books. And I read books about hiking the trail, but then I also read books about one I read was about a man who decided he was going to do a century run, meaning a hundred miles. And that's a whole different thing. But the mindset was what I was looking for. How do you work through the pain? How do you work through the discomfort? How do you do that? And I, the best advice I got was from a book called The Trek, T-R-E-K. And I, gosh, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but I continue to follow him. He has a website and he is, he had hiked the AT and then he went on to hike the other, there are two other long trails that are very popular and on to do that. But he said that the way that he got through the Appalachian Trail was two things, meditation and yoga. And I took note of that. And I, too, did a lot of meditating. When you're, walk, when you're doing a lot of walking, you can do a lot of walking meditation as well as sitting. Mm-hmm. But I also did a lot of yoga. Before you even started hiking so that you could. Yes, before. But then I also did a lot of yoga on the trail. The when you're hiking, you're only using a certain set of muscles and they build up tremendously. But you you can very quickly lose your flexibility. Mm. And yoga is a way of mitigating that and keeping your keeping your flexibility. So range of motion. Yeah, your range of motion. Yes, yes, exactly. So those two things really helped me. But then I did get on the trail and I had some friends who dropped me off and it had snowed the day before and the trail was muddy. It was like an ice skating rink. And I had trekking poles. Everybody uses trekking poles on the trail. And I started out on the trail and I had left them behind. I could not turn around and wave or anything because I would have just collapsed and pro- been off the trail. Probably like just turned around and run back to them, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm looking at it going, what the hell have you done? What are you doing out here? And I got to the first shelter. And I had my tent, but there were a lot of people, a lot of tents set up. But I went and sat down at the shelter and I had half of my lunch from off trail of sandwich and chips in my pack. And I sat down and I said to this person, and I say person, I do not know whether it was man, woman, he, she, they, whatever, sitting across from me eating. And I said, my pack is just way too heavy. And without even looking up, they said, eat it. What they meant was, eat what was in my pack. Good advice. (laughs) It was, but I could only eat so much. And I decided I didn't, one of the things that I had not studied was how to use a shelter and shelters sound whatever, but basically what they are, three-sided 
wooden structures with a roof. And they allot on the maps, it'll tell you how many people a shelter is supposed to accommodate. And if you do the math on it, it means that you get about 20 inches. That means when you are in a shelter, you may be nose to nose or nose to toes with people you don't know. And that first night, I wasn't with, I couldn't figure out exactly how that shelter was going. I'm like, I'm setting up my tent because I had this really nice tent. So I set up my, I look around and I'm trying to find the spot. And I find, I see this nice flat spot that's not too far from the shelter. And I go and I set up my, my tent and I'm like, okay, you know, I can, and I sit down on my sleeping pad and I spread out my, sleeping bag, and I am absolutely exhausted. And I'm sitting there, and one of the things that you have to do on the trail is you have to take care of your food so that bears don't get it. And we are not playing here. We're talking serious bears. And in shelter areas, they frequently have cables, and there's a pulley system that you can run them up. So I'm sitting there on my sleeping bag, and this very nice young man comes over to me and he looks looks down at me. He said, I'm having trouble over here with these cables. Could you help me? I'm like, oh, okay. I get up and I realize why that nice spot was there. I was directly under the cable for the bear bags. I looked up at the bat, looked down at my tent. Helped him get the cables untangled. He said, would you like for me to run yours up too? I said, that would be wonderful. And he did. And I looked up again and I said, you know, I hope there are no bears out tonight. And I proceeded to get in my tent and sleep. Oh my, this is day one. This is day one. I did not, I was too tired. There was no way I was going to move that tent and all my gear because I would have had to put it back together and move. Whatever. Okay. So no bears, right? No bears. No bears. Not that first night. Awesome. Well, that was quite the first day. It definitely was. It definitely was. And the second night, I was a little bit better in one respect, except it started raining. So I, when I woke up in the middle of the night and it's raining, it's like, oh my God, tomorrow I now have a wet tent to carry. And I, <laughs> the most famous book about the trail is um, by, uh, what's the name of it? It'll come to me. Anyway, he was on the trail he only hiked like about 400 miles and he wrote this book about the Appalachian trail mm-hmm. that everybody read. Oh, a walk in the woods, a walk, walk in the woods. The woods. Okay. We'll put, that, a we'll put that in the show. Yeah, a, walk, a, walk, a walk in the woods. And he didn't walk very far in the woods. He just was a very good writer. <laughs> and I'm laying there thinking, you know, he didn't walk very many miles and he wrote a great book maybe I should just go home and write my book now. After day two. (laughs) After day two. But I didn't. I didn't. Another question that people frequently ask is, what did you learn? Or how did it feel? That kind of thing. Oh, one thing, everybody on the trail, almost everybody, 
is walking off something, a divorce, a death, loss of a job, loss of a business. People just, whatever age, there are a lot of people who are basically walking off a midlife crisis. Lots of people or something. Right. Lots and lots of people in their 30s and 40s, probably more than the 20 somethings. Well, they have more life to walk off at that point, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And if you're 20 something, it's a lark. You know, you're just out there to do some walking and it's tough and you go, I'm I'm out of here. But the 30s and 40s, late 30s through 40s, lots of them. So one of the questions that's frequent at a campfire is, why are you out here? And my response was, I turned 70 years old. And almost uniformly, people went, oh, okay. It was like somehow there was an understanding that it was okay. That that, that, was, that was a really good reason. That was a good answer. Good that reason. A, I'm 70. Why not? Yeah, that was a valid reason for walking the trail. But I, I learned three things that are continuing to help me move my life forward. The first thing is travel light. Travel light. Every ounce hurts. And that's true whether you are walking the trail or whether you're going to Walmart. Every ounce hurts whether it's the physical or whether it's the mental or the emotional, everything you carry has a price and it hurts. Travel light. The next thing that I learned is to get over myself. (laughs) You don't realize until you are in a wilderness primitive environment how many things you do, how many things you take for granted. I always wipe up the counter in the kitchen. I always, you know, you make your bed, you do all these things on a regular basis. I don't get in bed with people I don't know. But on the trail, I did. When I said about the nose to nose or nose to toes, when you are literally, this close to somebody else, you could put your head in either direction. So you could, you know, you could stack the cords one way or you could stack them the other way. But the bottom line was you were not going to be very far from somebody else's toes or somebody else's nose. You just, and (laughs) the reality is people make noises at night, Mm -hmm. all kinds of noises. And you realize that you probably are too. If those things bother you, if you don't get over it, you got to get off the trail because that's just the way they, it is. Even if you go into a hostel, which is a, I mean, that's a, a building or whatever, you're still, still an open super, space. Yeah. Right. You have, it seems contradictory that you've got miles of open space and yet you have no private space and that's really what it's like there's no private space and if you are 
if you're one of these people that it's got to be this way, it's got to be that way, you're not going to survive. You just can't do it. I've always got to have my teeth brushed by first. Yeah. <laughs> You kind of have to break some of those and just go with the flow and be as you are and allow others around you to be as they are. Right. And accept it for what it is. And then the last thing is you got to hike your own hike. And that sounds so simple. But again, when you're sitting around a campfire, people have the rules for hiking the trail are... If you hike 2,000 miles in a single year, you're considered a thru-hiker. People have all, that's all the Appalachian Trail Association says about it. But people create rules. Okay, you got to this shelter and you came in from the north side. You got to go back out the north side. So you walk every single step of the trail or you got to do this or you got to do that. And it's like, no, you really don't. Don't let other people make your rules for you. Hike your own hike. You need to get off for a day, get off for a day. You need to get off for two days, get off for two days. You want to walk for 12 hours, keep walking. Whatever works for you, hike your own trail, hike your own hike. When you come back, I haven't turned totally into a minimalist, but I'm sort of moving in that direction because the less I carry, the easier my life is. And there are a few little quirks left over from it. I have these gold hoops. There are some that I had made for myself. They're handmade. I wore them on the trail. I've had them out in the last few years, very few times. And I have lots of beautiful jewelry, especially earrings. I don't do it. And it's not initially, well, even today, it's sort of an unconscious thing. You know, I see somebody else's earrings. It's like, wow, those are really pretty. But I have no desire to have them. Yeah, you appreciate them. You look at them and being like, they look great on you. And you're like, I'm good with my little hoop. Right, exactly. So I'm traveling light. And you know, once you get over yourself, (laughs) why go back? (laughs) There's no reason that I need any kind of rituals or whatever. I'm just over myself. If my hair, you know, I've got very, I've got red, very curly hair. There was a time that that really bothered me. I wanted to, da, 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 da. it's like, whatever. With curly hair, it's going to do what curly hair is going to do. Yeah. If it's humid, it's going to be, it's going to be really curly. Sometimes for a few hours, I might get it straight, but it's like, nah, I'm over it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. And believe me. I'm hiking my own hike. Ah, well, those are really three phenomenal lessons that you took away from your five and a half month hike. So what was kind of near the, what was the mental state for you? Obviously in the beginning, you kind of shared those first few nights and you know, what was going on and the meditation and the yoga mid, like when you were about halfway, what were you thinking to yourself? You get into a rhythm of 
being on the trail. And they say, don't ever quit on the worst day. And then don't ever quit on the best day. You just evaluate day by day. And it's one step at a time. You just got to you just got to keep walking. And that really helped me at the very end. I climbed Mount Katahdin. And now here's another thing. I was alone. I did not have a hiking partner. I would not ever do that again. That is not the best decision. I, I When I first started talking about it, a lot of people said, oh, I want to go, I want to go. But when the rubber met the road of the training and research and whatever. It was like, well, I don't know whether I can do that or not. So <laughs> full speed ahead, you know, I'm like, well, if nobody's going with me, I'm going by myself. That's so a I'm really clear- good lesson too, is to not let anybody else hold you back from doing the thing yes. that you want to do. But you still need to be cognizant sometimes of what what's going on. But anyway, I climbed Mount Katahdin and it took me much longer than it should have. And I got my little pictures at the top and I'm coming back down and I do some speaking and I have been working on and am going to give a a keynote that I'm calling the other side of the mountain because it's easier to learn how to get up the mountain than it is to get down the mountain. I was coming down alone and I fell. It is steep enough that there were places going up that other people lifted me up because there was rebar in the rock and you have to pull yourself up on the rebar to continue on the trail. Well, you got to come back down and there multiple trails to the top. And of course, I took the one up that's the official AT trail. And I was going to come back down one that people said, oh, that one's much easier. Well, there were a couple of things that I didn't take into consideration. One, there was plenty of water on the trail going up, but there was no water on the trail going down. And it was incredibly steep. And I was coming down almost a sheer area and I no way to stand up and walk for me. I sat down on a rock and I was scooching mm-hmm. <laughs> down the rock. And there was a, I guess, sand, gravel, I don't know, on the rock. And I reached out my foot to brace myself on the rocks across from me. And I my foot didn't quite reach and I reaching to do that. And when I did, the rock dumped me. I went over head first and I hit the rock in front of me. The things that went through my, the first thing that went through my mind was don't pass out. I'm on the mountain alone. There is no cell service of any kind. And I knew that I was probably the last person coming down the trail that day. There would not have been anybody looking for me before sunrise. So my my thought was, don't pass pass out. out. Don't pass out. So I got up and I had hurt my arm, but I didn't, at that point, I had no idea how badly. And I had hit hit the top of my head and I started walking 
and I was above the tree line. Now, this is interesting. It was August. It's hot as hell, right? Not up there. The wind was blowing and the temperature was around 50 degrees. And I had no gear. You don't take gear up the mountain. They don't want you spending the night up there or whatever. So I started walking. And for the, I think it took me about three and a half hours to get down the mountain. The only thing that went through my head was the mantra, one more step. One more step. When I finally hit the tree line, it relieved some of the wind. And when I got to the tree line, I thought, well, you know, I've got a better chance now of making it to the bottom. But I kept one more step, one more step. Because there was so much of it that was just like where I had fallen. It's difficult. So anyway, I kept saying one more step, one more step. And I finally got to the bottom of the mountain. It was still almost a mile to the ranger station, even after it started flattening out. And by that point, it was getting dark. And I started, I was exhausted, but I also started calling out, is there anybody here? Because I needed help. I, I had no water. I had given out of water before the tree line. And I kept thinking, I'll see a stream. There'll be a stream. There'll be a stream. And there wasn't. So when I got finally got to the ranger station, it was a little tiny place. I mean, we're not talking big, big things here. But the uh, ranger's wife came out and uh, I was, I said to her, I need some help. I, I you know, I fell and uh, she looked at me. She said, well, come on in. And to get my, I was going into hypothermia. I was starting to shake and I was also dehydrated and he came in and he got me. I had like three liters of water, just bam, bam, bam. And he said, we've got to get that jacket off of you. And I had, I had torn up my arm to the point that to get the jacket off of me, we had to pour water over my arm to loosen the blood. So once we did that, he got me a blanket and helped me get back to the hostel where I had stayed the night before. And it was almost 10 o'clock at night. And I had been hiking since 6 a.m. before I got back to the hostel that night. And I did not know. Thank heavens I was wearing a hat. Thank God I was wearing a hat. When I got in the shower, there was all of a sudden there was blood everywhere. And I, it wasn't coming from uh, my arm at that point was bandaged up. I had sliced open my head, but because I had on a hat, it didn't go that far, but it had opened it up enough that blood was flowing over me. So anyway, <laughs> I got myself together. I spent a day up there and headed home. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to end your hike with that being, you know, getting to the top of the mountain. Great. But yeah, you're right. It's coming down the other side. What is what is the next step? And I, as I talk to people, there are a lot of people who they retire, they turn 70, they lose a spouse, they no longer have the job, their kids move away. And it's, what do I do now? And I think I have something to offer. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't give up. You just don't give up. You just take one more step. 
one more step and you can come down the mountain one step at a time. Wow. May. Oh my goodness. I just want to reach through the screen and give you a big hug. This was such a That would be wonderful. I know, right? Um, What a fascinating story. Thank you so much for sharing that and, you know, reliving that for all of us who are listening. So now what, right now? So how old are you now? What do I do now? Yeah. How old are you right now? Oh, oh, I'm 76. So you're 76. So this was five years ago. Right, right. So So now you're 76. You've written a book. I know you've written a book. Yes, the book is called Destination 100, Rest Stop, Mount Katahdin. When I wrote what Destination 100 means is that I expect to live to be 100 at least, and I expect to live every day of it. Love that. Love that Thank message. you. Thank message. you. So, okay. So that's your now what? So you finish the hike, you write about your experience, you write this book called Destination 100. Now what? What are you doing now? Well, actually I have an Airbnb. I live on a farm and I have two apartments in my barn that I use for Airbnb. So I have become um, an innkeeper or a hotel or a- hotelier. <laughs> I hotelier. love it. Thank you. I couldn't pronounce the word. And I have goats and donkeys and chickens and those kinds of things. So I a whole different kind of thing. I am working on on doing more speaking okay. and also blogging about the trail and just about being older because there are a lot of things that people don't really think about. But those of us who are older do. One of the things is that we become invisible, very much invisible. And that can make us all feel a little uh, less than. And the only way to to deal with that is really from the inside out. I have a t-shirt that says certified 100% badass. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Yeah, you are. And I am. Because I don't take anything. And a lot of people do, especially if you have not had good self-esteem your whole life. And now you're old and people want to ignore you. It feeds into that same thing that you have been doing your whole life. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. And my response to that is you're never too old and it's never too late. Love it. Love it. Okay, so May, where can people find you? Where do you like to hang out? Obviously, you are a young, hip, tech-savvy kind of gal, so I know you're on the interwebs. Where can people find you? Well, you can find me, hopefully, by the end of this week at Destination100.com. And I have the website, and I got hacked and wiped out, so I'm in the process of putting it back together, but that's where you can find me. You can also find me on Facebook at that same page destination 100 and it has a banner across the top that has a 10 cup that says the adventure begins and when i when i sign books for people i unless i have something special they want that's what i always put in it is the adventure begins i love it because i think that the adventure begins every day that you wake up i have a little other thing that i call my hat trip hat trick for happiness. Okay. You have to be here. That means not in the past, not in the future. You got to be here. What are you doing now? 
You need to be amused. Find the funny in everything and be thankful. And that's my hat trick. That's the hat trick. H-O-T. Be here, be amused, and be thankful. And I attempt to live that every day. And what am I thankful for? And sometimes people say, well, you know, I don't have anything to be thankful for. My kids don't like me. My roof's leaking. Yes, you do. Your roof may be leaking, but you got a roof. Got it. Your kids may not live next door to you, but they're still around. That's what Zoom and... That's what all the technology is for, yeah. Yes, yes, we've got technology. There are so many things to be thankful for. You wake up, you have nice clean sheets. You got a nice warm bed. You've got running water. There's so... How did we get to a point that we're not thankful for all of that? All of those things that make us make it possible for us to complain. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, May, this conversation has just like lit my soul on fire. I am so grateful for you. Um, you. Okay. So everyone, if you resonated with this episode, please give it a like, a share, share it with somebody, you know, who's hitting a milestone and they think that they're coming to the end. Let them know that they're never too old and never too late to do anything. And I think May is the poster child for that <laughs> for us today. Okay, so that's it for us. Thanks so much for listening. And if you are a patron, we are going to be heading over to the patron section right now. And May is going to give us a little bit more information about her amazing book, Destination 100. So if you want to learn more about that, be sure to sign up as a patron and come and hang out with us over there. All right, everybody, thanks so much. And we will see you next week for another episode of I Just Blank. Now what? Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank? Now what? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do, how to move forward and help you answer now what. See you on the next episode.